one of the biggest moves that OEMs and manufacturers have that no one talks about is disintermediation. They're trying to basically figure out a way to get as much money as they can from the end user. And oftentimes disintermediation is a way to do that by basically making that middle person who's helping with that transaction irrelevant. The trusted advisor community, the partner advisor community, the consultants, you really have to keep yourself relevant with your clients, helping them with that selection, helping them review that, staying in the game, staying relevant. If you push them off to a cloud workspace or a marketplace, you really want to figure out, okay, how are you getting paid for your time? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Incident Report. Welcome to episode 68. I'm half your hosts. My name is Paul Burke. Across from me, Adam, how are you doing today? Good, Paul. Excited for this episode for the little known fact that while playing football in our very esteemed one in nine average season football performance in high school, I was number 68. So that uh, this number, this, this episode is, is quite close to my heart right out of the gate. I think I was 62. Wow. I didn't even think about it six weeks ago. Yeah, that is the... Uh, Large offensive lineman Burke capacity we got going on there. We weren't the best team, but boy, we had some heart. Great heart. Kept going out there. I think we averaged one varsity win a year, which was great. It's a good lesson learned. Yeah, full heart, clear eyes, always lose. That's our motto. <laughs> Go Casa. Go All Casa. Right. So we got some good stories. We're not just here to talk about Casa, relive the past. We're talking, we're jumping in, channel futures. So, oh, by the way, if this is your first time here, welcome. Glad you're here. We just introduced yourself. I'm Paul. That's Adam. And we are here to talk about the channel, to help share the information that we think that you need to know to be stronger, faster, better in the channel. Adam, what what would you add to that? Absolutely. So we like to talk about what's going on, trends we're seeing. We get a little, we try to get a little bit non-marketing BS. We like to get a little bit, a little bit straight talk express as we're coming into an election year here. The, what was it? The no malarkey bus tour by, by the former vice president Biden, not to get too political, but yeah, no malarkey, no malarkey here on our, on our program. We like to kind of just get to what it means to be a channel partner, what folks are struggling with. And every once in a while, people even agree to join us and talk. We won't get political, but I did not remember that. He called it the No Malarkey Tour? I think it was the No Malarkey Express. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. You don't hear malarkey used very often. You don't, Paul. It's from a different a different age, might I say, an age that needs to move on. Boom. Old people need to retire. And those folks over 80 years old, maybe they need to move on. I don't know. People don't use words like malarkey anymore. I don't know. No. Just get some young bloods in there. Get some young bloods in there. Not to be ageist. Uh, not that I don't. There's there's a problem with everything these days. So I know I'm probably going to be accused of being an ageist. But get some get some young sixty year olds in there. Yeah, you're not saying it has to be this way. You're just saying maybe maybe let's consider that. So you're here for the malarkey hot takes. We just gave those. Up next, we're talking about cloud marketplace. Which interesting article, Adam. You highlighted this one and a lot of good quotes in it. So it's on channelfutures.com. We have the link in the description if you want to check it out. Haven't drunk the cloud marketplace Kool-Aid? Question mark. It's about time. Kelly Teal, 
dives into the value of cloud marketplaces. But first, Adam, what are your thoughts on cloud marketplaces? You have you have Microsoft has cloud marketplace. You have Amazon has a cloud marketplace. I'm sure there's a handful of others. What what are your thoughts on them? Well, it, it's interesting because we, this has been a concept for a while. Everyone's trying to figure out a way to control more of the transaction, control more, more of the customer spend. And the marketplace, what it's doing is it's aggregating a lot of software services into one place and allowing, um, just think of it as like a digital, digital supermarket, right? You can go to one place and access different security products, different vendors, different features, different add-ons, different bolt-ons, all that kind of stuff. The challenge with it is everyone's got a different opinion about how things should be delivered. Everyone's got a different opinion about margin. People buy software a certain way. A lot of people wait till the end of the fiscal year. A lot of end. Today's the last day, business day of the month of September of the of the third quarter. So there's a lot of there could be shenanigans going on around last minute deals based on a vendor's performance over the quarter. Sometimes people in these articles, it's kind of it's kind of pie in the sky strategy from a standpoint of human behavior over the last 25 years, how people have been conditioned to purchase technology. So it's great. There's a lot of power to it. It's very good to have a digital marketplace, help people purchase and move things quickly. I buy things off of Instagram that I see and I like, and it's pretty cool. You can say, hey, that's a that, that's a cool like piece of running apparel, or that's a, that's a cool new supplement or whatever. Jocko just came out with some pre-workout, so shout out to Jocko. They got some pre-workout grape on the way. It, he, he hit me for 60 bucks, and he got me. He got me on his own digital marketplace. But that kind of stuff in the software world and the hardware world I think we'll, as we get into the article a little bit, might be some challenges there, I think. For those listening right now who don't know what a cloud marketplace is, what does it offer a channel partner? What does it offer an end user? What is a cloud marketplace? Amazon or, or Microsoft Azure, for example, the article kind of calls them out specifically, but it's basically the ability for you to log in under your organization's credentials and go and shop for services in one place. You don't have to call another vendor outside of that marketplace to get quoting, pricing, and purchase for that specific software. So as an example, hey, I wanna, I wanna buy a new security tool, mm-hmm. right? I wanna, I wanna buy a license for this certain security widget. That widget exists in the marketplace. So like the same way you scroll through amazon.com for the best new set of headphones, you can do that in the AWS cloud or in the Microsoft Azure cloud marketplace for the latest and greatest security widget. And you can click on it and say, hey, I need 20 of those. And you buy it and you say, this is my personal record and it sends you the licensing keys and it sends you the download authorization and you're off and running. I see. It's basically a speed to market for sale of, of software. Okay, makes sense. Thanks. So one of the quotes from the article, I was a little confused on. They say, one of the great things about Cloud Marketplace is end user organizations have agreed to spend more than $200 billion with hyperscalers over a certain number of years, which sounds really vague. And I don't quite understand. I know they're positioning as a good thing. That's $200 billion that's going to go into the Cloud Marketplace. But who are these end users? What are the certain number of years? Like, do you do you know any more about that? 
Yeah, so we've talked about this before. A couple episodes back, we talked about how people are selling. They're still selling the same thing. They're just doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So enterprises buy servers, hardware, software, and they used to have to capitalize that purchase. So I got. I'm going to go buy 200 switches and a bunch of a uh, bunch of servers and a bunch of storage, and I got to capitalize that purchase upfront and I commit to that and basically they drop ship me all the gear. And then I refresh my data center and now I have the latest and greatest speeds and feeds in my data center. So they capitalize that purchase. What you're talking about that $200 billion commitment is, is the enterprise doing the exact same thing they used to do, but they're, instead of ordering the hardware and having a drop ship to their data center or to their, their, their headquarters location, they're saying to AWS or to, to Microsoft or to Google, hey, we're going to sign a contract with you committing to spending at least a million dollars a year on your services. Now, your services are made up of firewalls and servers and virtual infrastructure and, and VMware licensing or Microsoft licensing or whatever it is. And they're basically committing to that. They're going to say, hey, give me a good discount on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll commit to you. It's a timeshare, but it's the same. It's the same concept. You're just you're just buying it a different way. You still need the capacity. You still need the resources, and it's it's basically their way of saying, "Hey, I'll commit to buying X amount per year from you mm-hmm. for this disc for this discount level." And so, what this article is saying is that, "Hey, two hundred billion dollars of enterprise capital is committed to these hyperscalers, and now these enterprises have to figure out." What's the best way to get the most bang for my buck? Now that I've already negotiated this commitment to Microsoft or AWS or Google, they can apply some of those dollars to other services within that, apologize for this word, I hate this word, ecosystem and and cloud marketplace. I got to spend a million bucks a year on this server infrastructure, but I have $200,000 left in my commitment. Do I go outside the marketplace and buy security products from someone else mm-hmm. or do I I'm already committed I owe Microsoft another twenty two hundred thousand dollars I might as well just buy it from their marketplace mm. so it's it's you like Lord of the Rings Paul big fan I'm a I'm a huge geek nerd fan of Lord of the Rings I still haven't been able to convince my wife or daughters to sit down and watch it with me someday they will but until then we all have dreams have Adam we all have we all have dreams, dreams. we do so it's kind of that whole like one ring to rule them all concept, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is you use people's, I don't know if it's greed or vested interests or laziness or just, hey, I just make it simple and transaction and let me go home and, and, and deal with the rest of my day so I can just buy these stupid licenses and move on. Basically, they're consolidating that spend as much as they can into the whole Sauron one ring to rule them all concept. Like... If I keep you in my ecosystem, mm-hmm. I own all your spend. And if I'm making 1% or 10% or 80% margin, that's that's the game plan. That's the long-term strategy. And that you, you pulled out probably in your first question, the most important aspect of this article is $200 billion is committed. And how are, how are these hyperscalers going to capitalize on, on, that, on that commitment? And, and and grow it by selling more stuff to a captive audience. I see. And, and also important, Adam, who is Frodo in this analogy? 
Well, that's a great question. There's some of the channel partners in here could be not necessarily destroying the ring, but they're going after the additional revenue and the additional opportunity. It, but it's kind of, it's a little bit of a trick because, hey, if you push all your clients to marketplace activity, you kind of make yourself little, a little bit less relevant, mm. right? If, if, you, if you remove yourself from the transaction, that's why I always laugh about people who get really excited about AWS's partner programs and, and other vendors' partner programs, because one of the biggest moves that OEMs and manufacturers have that no one talks about is disintermediation. They're trying to basically figure out a way to get as much money as they can from the end user. And oftentimes disintermediation is a way to do that by basically making that middleman, middle person, whatever, who's helping with that transaction irrelevant. So what we see is the trusted advisor community, the partner advisor community, the consultants, you really have to keep yourself relevant with your clients by helping them with that selection, helping them review that, bringing that to them, staying in the game, staying relevant. If you push them off to a cloud workspace or a marketplace, you really want to figure out, okay, how are you getting paid for your time? How are you as a, as a consultant or as a broker or as someone who's helping people with security, with technology decisions, how are you helping them? How are you relevant in that transaction? Adam, to take this Lord of the Rings metaphor one step further, would you say channel partners are in a fellowship? They are in a fellowship and they, they do need to leverage each other's strengths and leverage the strength of what's being attempted to be put in place here from a who's capturing the, the, the spend and who, who's kind of helping things get done. Microsoft has a long history of being channel friendly and helping managed service providers and helping build their developer ecosystem and build their implementation and their you know, system integrator e ecosystem. Just buying the license mm -hmm. doesn't account for what actually happens day two. So there's still a huge opportunity for ongoing management and support, ongoing assistance, the actual integration. A lot of these mammoth firms, they don't help with the actual implementation. Mm -hmm. They don't help with the actual delivery. They don't want to. Some of them price themselves out of it. Like if you try to get professional service dollars from certain software companies, you'll get like 500 or $400, $500 per hour cost models back because again, back to the money, how they're valued. If the portion of the revenue there exceeds a certain percentage in service dollars, they get classified as a different type of company. Hmm. All these companies want to be considered software as a service with total contract value and annual contract value on a, on a reoccurring way that they can then affect their multiples for how much money they're going to get when they sell. So people build these businesses. And so there's a huge opportunity if you know where those players don't want to be. If you want to compete with them as a, as a SaaS provider, brutal. If you want to help it with as an implementation partner, Great opportunities there. So the article mentions that perhaps the greatest advantage of cloud marketplaces lies in the co-selling aspect, a term which I've never heard of, co-opetition. Is the co-selling aspect, is that a hard thing to, is that a hard needle to thread in marketplaces? The marketplace is, is something that people have been doing for a long time. I mean, 20 years ago, when we were 25 years ago, when we were a VAR, we were getting told by all the consultants, hey, you got to have an online catalog. Mm -hmm. got to have an online catalog. got to have an online catalog. That's great. And you can build it in kind of the field of dreams model. Hey, build it and they will come. But 
a lot of these marketplaces are, are robust, a lot of development, a lot of integration, but you got to have the customers coming to it. It doesn't matter how cool the party is if no one shows up. Mm. You still have to have that customer base to come in and, and leverage the tools that you built. So that co-opetition and what they're, they're trying to do is get the individual companies, the MSPs, the regional VARs, the consultants, the brokers, to bring their relationships to the portal, bring what they've built, their businesses, their intellectual property, their customer relationships, bring them to this digital marketplace. And one of the challenges is any business person who runs a business is like, hey, it's taken me 15, 20 years to establish this customer base. Mm -hmm. These people trust me. They know me. Like I've, I've delivered on what I said I'm going to do. I can't just hand that over to someone else to just, yeah, just go buy it through the portal and hopefully they pay me. That's a terrifying thing for anybody who's dealt with that type of, that type of uh, situation. So they got to figure out a way to make it relevant for all parties. Yeah. Is it, is it cool? Yeah, it's really cool. But how are people making money? How are MSPs? How is that co-opetition really going to work? Do you see a lot of channel partners creating new services? In the article, it mentions channel partners don't just have to rely on vendors to develop interesting new apps and services. They can do it themselves. This calls for experienced developers who can bring a vision to life, followed by an effective sales and marketing team that can speak clearly to the benefits of using the app or service in question. Adam, maybe I don't know Cloud Marketplace enough. That seems like a lot of work to hopefully uh, sell a product? Or is this more common than it sounds to me? No, it's, it's so we're, we're California guys, right? We've, we've talked about the gold rush in the past. And the, there's a lot of people who made some money in the gold rush and not all of them were the miners. The people who came across the country and moved to California were both from Sacramento, right? You go up in the, in the foothills of Sacramento, there were people who ran stores. There was, there's Sutter's Fort. There's the Sutter family. There's other organizations and families that built up. Here's the picks. Here's the lumber. But the most people who made money in that, other than Hearst and the, the big gold folks who captured all that, was the suppliers. So it's nothing new. We kind of try to pretend that technology is something new. That strategy that you just described is basically capturing people think there's gold in them hills when it comes to applications and development and all that kind of thing. Mm. And this is the marketplace saying, hey, come and buy all your beans and bullets and gold pans and picks and shovels from me. And you being so smart and brilliant as you are, Mr. Gold Pan Miner, go up into the hills where you don't have food or water. And you've never been in Northern California before and you don't know the weather patterns and you're gonna do, you're gonna do great. Go up there and stake your claim and give me your life, all your life savings and I'll give you all the equipment that you need to go up there and go gold panning from go mining for gold. Mm -hmm. Good luck. <laughs> most of those guys, most of those guys died in the hills. Yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing. Most of them died. I'm a monster. It's not well. It's it's over a hundred years, so it's funny now. Just kidding. Yeah, so most of those guys perished or didn't completely failed and went bankrupt and and went away. So that's the risk you gotta you gotta look at who's selling you who's selling you this story, mm -hmm. right? The people who selling you the story are the ones feeding you the equipment. So just be careful about it. Just for us, we've survived, Quest has survived over 40 years by basically listening to our customers. Our vendors are great. Love our vendors. They're, they're fantastic, but they're, they're trying to sell their book, right? Everyone's always trying to sell their book. The customer 
is the one who's going to keep you alive and fed because they're going to tell you what they're actually working on. It's great to have those vendor relationships because then the customer is going to tell you what you need. Then you can go build that with them or for them. The story of gold mining and going in the hills and buying a bunch of equipment and hopefully it all works out. A lot of people got blown up that way. I just advise being real careful with that concept. Great point. All right, let's uh, go positive. Actually, this is cynical as well. Channel E to E.com. Ransomware claims increased 27% in the first half of 2023 report. Not only are the, the claims up, but according to this article, the amount requested from the ransomware agents have also gone up. Yeah, we're seeing this. We're seeing a, a big spike. We're getting advisory alerts, cybersecurity advisory alerts from the CISA. We actually just sent out another security advisory alert today. It's kind of like when you got a hurricane out in the in the ocean and it's, it's hey, it's a category two. And right now we're getting from the CISA, like the idea that, hey, it's going from category two to category four. Mm. It's ramping pretty heavily. Uh, we're seeing these, we've been seeing it all year. We're continuing to see incidents spike up and there's not much you can do about it other than you got to review what you have in place. You got to understand, do we have the security policies in place? Do we have the the basics? Are we doing the basics right? Because a lot of people are getting hit and they're surprised that maybe their backups aren't in place. Maybe they don't have what they think they have. Maybe their firewalls aren't exactly tuned to where they need to be. Not to mention in about 12 days, Microsoft 2012 R2 is going end of life. So there's all sorts of nastiness potentially coming out for a lot of people who have that server OS in their environment. So you got to stay alert, got to stay aware to it. This is, it's, it's going to continue. You mentioned we send out an email every week. We send out updates every week. We send out what we call service advisories to our clients and our partners okay. around what we're seeing. We work with the FBI and and other government organizations, and they're seeing trends. And we're trying to advise folks that, hey, this is, it's not a drill. This is not a, a FUD thing. This is, it doesn't matter what you have in place from a security solution standpoint. It's not a sale. Sometimes clients are like, well, are you just trying to sell me something? No, I'm not trying to sell you something. There, this is, this is significant. People are getting, are getting hit. Businesses are going away. And like you're seeing on this, on this notification on channel EDE, the, the, the ransoms are going up and they're, they're going up quickly. Adam, can anybody sign up for that weekly email that we send out? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in the email or in security advisories or anything like that, if you go on our, if you go on our website and we have a, a quick little, I'd like to, like to engage information, just fill that out. We'll, we'll get you on the list and get you, get you notified when we're seeing anything happen. That's great. I honestly didn't know we do that. I will add a link to the description of the podcast. If you'd like to sign up for that, totally, totally free, right, Adam? Yeah, absolutely free. Part of our security advisory and things that we put out all the time. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, we're jumping over to Forrester. Splunk got purchased by Cisco. And this article, really great. Splunk is good for Cisco, but Cisco needs to convince Splunk customers that Cisco is good for them. So, it dives into the acquisition who uses Splunk, who's a little wary of the Cisco purchase. This was interesting. I know, so Cisco has been moving down the path of, of kind of putting together their their security story more and more. So this was a big move. I mean, I think it was what, 24 or 28 billion, a huge purchase within the, within the Splunk world. 
Splunk's one of those tools that can be used for a variety of things. It seems like Cisco's acquiring it specifically for the security capabilities, but people use it for a lot of different integration points and logging of events and correlation and things like that. I think it'll be interesting to see how how Cisco either leaves Splunk alone, kind of like they did with Thousand Eyes and Duo and Meraki, mm-hmm. or or if they if they integrate it into the overall Cisco story. I think some Splunk people are kind of concerned, candidly, that Cisco is going to screw it up. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see how how it goes. So the authors mentioned since the acquisition was announced. Many have demonstrated concern that the pairing will degrade the quality of the SIM that they've come to rely on more than any other SecOps tool. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people base their security operations practice around what Splunk yields them, right? It's a, it's a huge tool. It's a big undertaking. It, it, it can correlate and do all sorts of cool things from notification of logs and ingestion and, and correlating of events and all that kind of good stuff. Great tool set. You gotta you gotta know what you're doing and you gotta tune it appropriately and you gotta take you gotta invest some significant resources to manage it. We do that for clients. We help clients tune what they what they've done. We have a Splunk practice and have been have been working with them for years. And then it's also fun because we've been a Cisco partner for 22, 24 plus years as, as a gold partner. So been doing that a long time. We have we have engineers and resources on both sides of the fence of this one. Everyone's kind of in a wait and see in a wait and see mode right now to see how it how it sorts out. We'll be going to Partner Summit here in November, so I'm sure there'll be some stories around that. At least the, the positive side is the identity threat detection and response, the ITDR concept. Cisco acquired another vendor earlier in the year, and it'll be interesting to see how Splunk and I always mispronounce this Ort and Duo will kind of be like bundled together for that identity threat detection and response package that they have. Okay, so you have a hard time saying ORT as well, because I, I saw that and I was like, I don't know how to say this. Adam probably does. So I feel, honestly, I feel a lot better. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with I'm going to go with ORT. Forrester also says that this could be a boon for Microsoft Sentinel. Microsoft is the biggest SIM competitor to Splunk right now. Splunk customers will flock to or expand their Sentinel deployments as they hedge their bets between where Cisco takes Splunk and where Microsoft takes Sentinel. Yeah, I mean, we, that's that's really a, a customer. I, I don't know how many people are going to hedge bets between competing SIM mm-hmm. tools. You kind of pick your poison and and develop a practice around it, and then try to try to understand what people are using and how it's relevant to your environment. We kind of take that agnostic standpoint of helping clients with whatever they're investing in. But most people who are invested in Sentinel and the Microsoft stack, I'm not quite sure I, I buy into that that part of the article. I'm not maybe, but that's a that's a big that's a big move to to make just based on an acquisition by Cisco. Yeah, that's a great point. As you mentioned, that hedging your bets means you're kind of doing both at the same time. So that doesn't that seems like a big ask for any company. Well, from a security operations standpoint, that's multiple dashboards, that's multiple practices, that's a lot of investment just based on, on hedging your bets. And then and then when you're hedging your bets, typically there's an inflection point where it's like, hey, I'm I'm gonna make a call one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And how do, how do you identify that transition? It's like, no, they didn't they didn't have the Splunk VP on on the second keynote at Cisco Partner Summit. We're we're <laughs> we're we're bailing. We're going to like really? That's how you're gonna evaluate technology? Like that's that to me to me that sounds like someone was 
was, was filling article space. Good, good point. Just meeting that word quota. They charge by the word over there, Forrester. Just kidding, Forrester. Just kidding. Forrester, we're just making jokes. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today, bringing the insight. Everybody listening, thank you for being here as well, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Paul. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.